Welcome back to another episode of Religionless Church, you ecclesial nuts. In this episode, I talked to Caitlin Curtis, who is a Potawatomi woman. Uh, I know I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm sure she's listening to this right now and going, ah, you didn't get it again. Uh, it's such a tongue twister for me. Some of those multi-syllable words are kind of tough for me sometimes. Uh, but anyway, Caitlin is a writer and an activist, and she talks about her experience as a woman, an indigenous woman in the world of the Christian faith. And so her and I kind of talk about the subversiveness of her activism towards white supremacy and colonization. So she's absolutely brilliant mind. She is so full of wisdom and uh, she was a delight, uh, a real delight to talk to. So uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. Also throughout this episode, you'll hear the music of Hawkboy. Hawkboy is an interesting band. It's, they're a little bit different than other bands that I've had throughout this this show of Religionless Church. Hawkboy isn't really a band anymore. Um, they the the two members of the band are still making music, uh, but they aren't as a band together anymore. Uh, they released an EP back in 2010 and an EP back in 2011, and the band consists of the drummer Aaron Lunsford uh, and the frontman, the singer, and the guitarist, Cody Bonnet. And Cody is one of the most uh, influential musicians in my life. He is absolutely brilliant and wonderful and has really, I think, contributed to the where I am in the world today in my faith and in my spirituality. So I'm really excited for you to be able to listen to Hawkboy. They are a wonderful duo, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy them. I really do. So... Uh, as always, you can find the links to get connected to both Caitlin and Hawkboy. and look at that in the description below. And as always, you can support my work, uh, preferably through Patreon. Uh, if you're not a Patreon supporter now, you should totally do that. Uh, you'll receive exclusive content from me based on the different tier levels that you might um, select. There's a $1 a month tier level. You know, that only goes to $12 over the course of the year. And I tried to buy a sub from Subway the other day, and it was like $10. I don't know what happened to the $5 footlongs, but it's absolutely bizarre to me that a sub from Subway could cost almost $10. So just so you know, when you go to Subway today and you buy your what should have been a $5 footlong but now cost almost $10, that's pretty much what you would pay to me over the course of the year uh, if you did the $1 a month tier. But obviously... If you feel so obliged to, you can always uh, um, support me in the $5 and $10 a month years. That would be absolutely wonderful, too. And the link for that will be in the description below as well. And yeah, again, you'll receive exclusive content. You'll ex receive early access to episodes and previews of episodes. You'll receive access to papers that I write um, and all sorts of little things that I create. So be sure to become a supporter on Patreon and uh, get connected to my work um, both on, on Patreon and on social media as well. I'm really active on Twitter, so if you're not already connected to me on Twitter, you can find the link of that below and 
of course, there's all sorts of things on my website you can get uh, connected to as well. So make sure you uh, check my work out and be sure to check out, again, the work of Caitlin Curtis and Hawkboy. And I think you all probably are set to listen to another episode of Religionless Church. So here we go. Welcome again to another episode of Religionless Church. Today we have a delightful person. Uh, we have Caitlin Curtis, who is an author, an activist, a speaker, a blogger, a avid Twitter user, and she is from the Potawatomi tribe. Did I get it fairly good? Potawatomi. Potawatomi. I'm like adding like an extra syllable, and then sometimes I take away an extra <laughs> syllable. I'm I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. But anyway, uh, a delightful person nonetheless. And last year, uh, in November, you released a book called Glory Happening. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. But as I mentioned just a bit ago, you have a number of roles in your life, uh, including being a mother and a partner and author and activist. Uh, So you have a lot of roles. uh, So there's a lot that a lot of people probably project onto you saying that's what you are and probably is true but i'm curious who is caitlin curtis to caitlin curtis um i've always been um a learner i was always had a really um curious spirit um in me which i think has gotten me to where i am today mm-hmm. um and i think i've always been um someone who is drawn to the the idea of transforming. I think that Hmm. that that's just always been something that um, is really important to me. So I don't know if I'd call myself a transformer. (laughs) That sounds funny. (laughs) But um, the uh, the Caitlin Curtis in disguise. Yes, I'm a transformer. (laughs) I uh, yeah, I think that that those ideas, you know, being a learner and unlearning things and relearning things. I think that has guided me throughout my life and really a lot now as I'm writing (laughs) as a writer and a mother, you know, that, that kind of spirit, um, guides me a lot. Mm -hmm. But I think I'd say that right now. By, by just, uh, curiosity for curiosity's sake, are you an Enneagram five? I mean, that sounds very Enneagram five ish. Well, I'm a four. Okay. Um, All right. I don't know what my wing is yet. Like, I, I don't know if I'm a wing three or a five. Okay. So, well, the, that, so that emphasis on learning, uh, there, I, I think there might be a little fiveness in there. I know. I can't figure it out if I'm a wing three or five, but I'm a four. So. That's wonderful. I am also a four, so, okay. I, so we, can, we can four this together. I think a really interesting spiritual journey um, that intersects your um, your being an indigenous woman Uh, Mm -hmm. you um, kind of growing up in a sort of evangelical world if I if I kind of Mm -hmm. am assuming that correctly from what I've seen Mm -hmm. so you've had a really interesting spiritual journey would you like to describe for us what what that journey's been like from childhood to where you're at now yeah um so growing, I grew up in the, the Southern Baptist Church, so 
Okay. <laughs> Very traditional Baptist. Um, I was, I've always known I'm Potawatomi, you know, I'm an, I'm an enrolled citizen of our tribe. And, mm-hmm. and so I've always known that, but, um, we didn't like practice our culture a lot. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like, you know, we, we would go to powwows and we would do things, but it wasn't like we incorporated our culture into our everyday life a ton, mm-hmm. but we did go to church, you know, and I grew up in the church. And so, um, in my teenage years, I was super involved in the Southern Baptist church, like purity movement, just like mm-hmm. everything. I was like the poster child of the Baptist church. Um, and then early college, I got married when I was 19. So early college okay. um, started realizing that there are people in the world who don't live in the bubble of what I grew up in. Right. Um, and did you go also, to a Christian college? No, but, no. Okay. You didn't. Okay. Um, no, but I remember being in, I was in a, um, a world lit class and I was like, I'm, we were studying a, a, something from the old Testament, you know, one of the stories. And I was like, this is so great. Like I can share with everyone that I'm a Christian. Right. And we read this story and people were like, this story's ridiculous. Like what kind of God would do this? And, you know, and I, I remember that day I just went home like crying. Cause I was mm. like, they don't, they don't understand, you know? And it was just the first time that my like worldview this little bubble that I was in had collapsed, which mm-hmm. was a wonderful thing. So, um, I've grown, if I call it, you know, deconstructing, we're deconstructing our right. faith, a lot of us. And along with that has come finding my native identity again in a way that it's been suppressed and assimilated out of me in a way mm-hmm. for a long time. So, so now, um, coming out of an evangelical background and out of a legalist a very legalistic background and um trying to find my way out of the institution of the church in a lot of ways right and back to what it actually does mean to be a christian uh, which is difficult uh so so i feel like i'm in a lot of weird spaces in between spaces right and that's what my faith is right now i think right and i think that's a that's a wonderful place to be and i think when when somebody is kind of revealed uh like when when it's revealed to them that there is all these constructions in their faith uh and they do start going down that path of deconstruction you really start to enter yourself self and only finding yourself within that space Mm -hmm. and being in that in between so that's something that for myself as well and I i think for a lot of people they'll never be able to get themselves out of that space and i think that might be part of the point uh, yeah. is to always be in the in the in between. One of those things that you've done since then, uh, since graduating is you wrote a book called Glory Happening, and you released that in November of last year, correct? Yeah. Wonderful. And so I'm curious, what inspired you to, to write Glory Happening? Um, you know, that book was, <clears throat> it was so much fun to write because it was basically like a bunch of journal entries. Right. <laughs> you know, like I had, I, my blog is called Stories, so I've always been a storyteller, and, and my mm. My blog, even now, it's based on stories, on the experience, on, you know, you you tell a story and you want to reflect 
It's like holding up a mirror to somebody. You're trying. Mm-hmm. We're trying to find each other through our stories, right? That's how we connect. That's what community is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had like 35 of these stories that I'd written, and I was like, "Well, this is not like the, I can't. This is not a blog. These aren't like 30 blog posts. That would just be too much, you know." And so right. I was like, "Maybe it could be a book." And so I sent it to Paraclete Press, and they took it. They accepted it, and it was amazing my first book I had no idea what I was doing right (laughs) and so um so that that book was just a lot of fun to write it was very um cathartic to write because I was just reflecting on my life basically and then the the prayers that I wrote were just I felt like I was writing poetry which I love so Mm -hmm. it was just a really wonderful experience of writing that and it was this space where I was discovering like the mystic tradition I was I was discovering um more of Richard Rohr's writing the Franciscan Mm -hmm franciscan tradition and it that really helped me as an indigenous woman to find us a place in that tradition Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of overlap and so it helped me um it just was a space within the church that i hadn't i didn't know about because i grew up baptist so Mm -hmm. there's this whole you know there are all these spaces i didn't know what advent was i didn't know lint existed (laughs) right all these things that i had never heard of um, and so going even further back in the Christian, in Christian history, there are just all these things I still am learning. So, um, so yeah, so I, that book was kind of birthed out of that in-between place. Like I was talking about, even then yeah. it was just this space where I was finding myself. So in the book, you talk a lot about finding the divine in unexpected places. Um, I think one of those unexpected places can sometimes be yourself. So what did you learn about yourself unexpectedly as you wrote the book? Uh, One of the things that I, there's actually a chapter in it, is the first time that I called myself a mystic because... Mm. Once I started learning about that tradition, then we say, we kind of like reserve the title of mystic for like monks, you know, like they can be mystics because they are monks. Um, But like um, this idea that anyone can be a mystic, anyone can choose to see, see, to pay attention and to notice and to, to interact with these divine spaces in our life. Like Mm -hmm. anyone can do that. We just have to choose it, you know? And so th- when I realized that I had the capacity to do that, um, it was really freeing for me. And I think it it showed me a lot of myself that I didn't know was there. It had been there, you know? Mm-hmm. I've always been capable, but it was like I finally discovered it and put words to it. Right. That is such a a liberating moment to like, mm-hmm. uh, in, in any person's life, it, it doesn't even have to be about like spirituality or anything. It, to be able to put a name on something that has been maybe ruminating in your mind or in, in your soul and then finding that, oh my goodness, there's a whole, there's a name for that. Like there's a term for that. And there's a whole tradition behind that. There's all this resource behind that. Like that is such a liberating moment that I've, I've noticed in my own life. Uh, and so I'm sure even for you in that moment, that was yeah. like a, a moment that just felt like releasing that, like, oh, I'm not the only one that has experienced that. In fact, 
I'm a part of a really grand tradition mm-hmm. that has experienced this whole thing. Uh, yeah. So there's something really freeing about that. I don't know if you have thoughts on that or not. Yeah, but. well, it took me back to being childlike again because <laughs> yeah. I have these memories as a child being very mystic-oriented. Like, I, I loved mystical experiences. I loved, you know, as kids, we're so curious in that, that spirit. And then right. even in our faith or whatever, whatever our faith is, not just like Christian faith, but like just our, our like hunger to see, to mm-hmm. see beauty in the world. And I think over time we lose it, we lose it, we lose it in American society. And I, you know, I, I'm white and native. So like, I'm, I, I lived a very, just like your basic traditional life for mm-hmm. throughout my teenage years. Like I, I just think I, in some ways I lost that capacity and in the, church that I grew up in I think it it just wasn't the way we thought it wasn't the way we operated it just right. wasn't and so so to gain that back again is like we're returning to that space as children mm-hmm. and I think that's really beautiful you know totally so that's that's like the the childlike faith that you know was yeah. all, often talked yeah. about in those circles but rarely maybe fully realized and I think when when you start um when when you start learning about that mystical tradition, you really realize that like the these uh these uh sixty seventy year old plus nuns and and monks these are these are really like just children in their faith yeah. and, and they really they really revel in that they really do. yeah. I'm sure there there are many things that uh, you found the divine to be in an unexpected place. Uh, what was probably the most unexpected place for you that you found the divine? Um, in, in your like kind of developing and journal entries of of the book. Yeah. Uh, so in context of that. Right. So I shaped the book around it, it's split into eight different section it, sections and it's kind of like um, these different aspects of where we find the glory presence of God or the presence mm-hmm. of the sacred. One of them that surprised me and also it surprised me how people responded to it were the stories that were about pain. Mm. Um, I wrote one about labor when I was in labor with my oldest son. Um, and I wrote mm-hmm. one about when my dad left when I was nine. I wrote one about um, when my sister-in-law died of cancer and then okay. this boy that I knew in Mexico also died of leukemia. And so there are these, um, there were these stories about intense pain. And as I was reflecting on them, it was really cathartic to look on those experiences and notice that God was there in them. Mm-hmm. And that even in, even in processing them and feeling the pain of them, that that was a sacred experience as well. And um. I don't know that that really surprised me. I was not expecting that. And I didn't I didn't know. I didn't realize that I needed to write those stories until I started right. writing them and I was like this is this is a huge part of God is so close when things are really bad, mm. you know, in the pain. And that it's true. We know that, but it it meant a lot to me to discover that again in my writing. Right. When you look back on the scriptures and 
you read stories of people who are experience, experiencing tremendous pain or loss. Do, you, did those, do those stories now stand out more to you? Um, or do you read them in a new light because of your experience of, uh, of finding the divine within these moments of pain and loss? Yeah, yeah. And just the fact that, that the Bible and so much of literature is just these beautiful, they come from these beautiful oral storytelling traditions. So right. just imagining that they weren't just written down, but they were told with so much emotion and, and real, um, just real truth in them to each other. You know, the, the metaphors and the truth, like all of it, just the, mm-hmm. the way that we share our lives with one another. And you do, I mean, you do that through joy and through pain, you know, and that's so right. powerful. Many find the divine in community, um, and, and in fact, you might argue that that's maybe the only way that you can find the divine is is in community. Uh, regardless, uh, so uh, finding the divine in community outside of kind of traditional forms of church is something that uh, many people throughout uh, the uh, the uh, throughout Christian history ha- have found. What are communities, uh, or what sort of communities did you find the divine um, that were outside of these sort of traditional forms of church? Yeah. Um, so one of the chapters in the book is called The Great Cloud, and it's about that scripture, you know, talking about the great cloud of witnesses. And I was mm-hmm. thinking about, um, what I was thinking about is all the places outside of church that are my great cloud of witnesses, all these people that speak into our lives right. that don't go to church with us. Mm-hmm. Um, like we have a favorite restaurant that we go to and we know all the staff and, mm. and they love our family and we love them. They come to our kids' birthday parties. We go to stuff at their, their houses. And it's <laughs> this amazing relationship that formed over food and over, we're a family new to this town and we want friends. And, and that became church to us. Like we would go there mm. after church every Sunday and it was like, that was like our space as a family to just be with these people that we love, who love right. us. And that was, that was such a, um, such a beautiful gift of that to us was a really sacred way for God to remind us that we can be rooted somewhere, you know? Um, so like just becoming a part of your community in any way, you know, and I've heard a lot about people who do, um, like the dinner clubs now, like as a way of community, they do these like dinner clubs. And I think that's so beautiful or biking, you know, people do like cycling clubs, um, I just think there are so many ways. I don't know. I just church is church is more than church. You know, <laughs> it's more than right. what we what we think it is. And and um and God is more than church than what what we think it is. And God is more than Christianity. What we say and what we imagine. And so, um, you know, there's a um we have a, a Muslim friend who works at the market where where we live, and she's one mm-hmm. of our favorite people, and she comes over and has dinner with us and we learn so much Mm. from each other. And I just, um, there's too much, there's too much to gain from one another outside of for us to ignore that, you know, there's too much there. And, 
Um, and so sitting and writing those stories really helped me remember that even when, when church can be hard, sometimes church is right. like the worst place to find community, which is sad, but sometimes it is. And so you mm -hmm. have to totally. like dig into these other spaces around you, you know, and it's there. And then I pray that church can become that place. But if it's not, you know, God is still in restaurants and in all these right. other places, like God is still there. So you really emphasize this sort of like colliding of the sacred and secular and uh, or, or what we traditionally have viewed to be secular and sacred. And, right. and you, you often talk about this sort of colliding that there's a uh, interconnectivity between these two forms of sacred and secular. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like there, there's a lot of people that that walk into a church and may not actually experience ideally what the the sacredness of a church but then they walk out into the world uh they walk out the church doors and that's where they start finding uh the sacredness of the church uh which would have you know what traditionally is is seen to be secular um so yeah like your a lot of your work seems to be working uh to to bridge the the these mm -hmm. traditional forms of sac um, sec secular and, and sacred. Do, do you, can you speak more to like that, that thought of sec the sacred and secular? I think, um, I think that's been part of my journey of deconstruction because growing up in that, you know, the Southern Baptist world, you're kind of taught like we're in and they're all out. Right, right. And we have to save the world and they're all lost. And so we have to like go to them and save them. And it's just very like us, them, us, them. And I am, mm -hmm. um, when you, you know, as an indigenous woman, like coming back to who I am, realizing that I, I'm now one of them <laughs> because mm -hmm. to the church, I'm not one who's in anymore. Right. In so, um, so just breaking out of that, the missionary complex and all these things that come with the church just um helps break down those walls like there's mm -hmm. you know then you realize like that the sacred is everything like the sacred and the, and a sanctuary can be anywhere and all of these things that to the church is that's terrifying right and if you're totally. in the church that can be terrifying but that's like that's how we gosh that's how we've done so much damage is because mm -hmm. we set those things up like they're yeah. Us and them. You know, it's so um that dualistic thinking like Richard Orr says, like it's right. so dangerous. For sure. Yeah, it, it it certainly has brought a lot of toxicity to mm -hmm. to this world. How does your Padawanami tradition shape your faith? Um I think it shapes everything. Um it's opened my eyes to the fact that even in my life and in my family's life, we have been assimilated into white Christian culture. You know, right. um, the whole point with indigenous people, the whole point was to assimilate us out of who we were mm. boarding schools, Indian boarding schools. And, um, 
the genocide and the the removal, like all of those things were meant to over time erase who we were. So even if we were still alive, still standing, still people, the point was that we would not we would not be fully aware or care about who we are as indigenous people. And that happened for generations of us. Mm-hmm. And so coming back to myself again and and trying to learn um, who my ancestors were and like why we why we cared about the sacred fire, like why, you know, our the Potawatomi, the the word, um, the meaning is we're the people of the place of fire. Hmm. Why does it matter that we have this holy fire inside of us? Why does it matter that the world um, speaks to us about the creator? Like, why do those things matter? And that's, um, yeah, it's shifted everything. And I've used the, the term decolonizing my faith a lot, you know, right. and that's still along with deconstruction. It's that. and and I'm finding that with a lot of people of color, they are doing the same. They that it's a necessary work to decolonize mm-hmm. or deconstruct because in America it's been Christianity has been built with along with empire and it's been built with assimilation and all these the white supremacy. Right. So to enter back now entering back into my faith as an indigenous woman, it's like um it's really hard trying to find the balance and find what I believe. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out what I believe, really, because I have to separate, I have to sift through everything, everything. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot of work. <laughs> um, Certainly. But it's worth it. So one of those things that that you've talked about that your tradition has really emphasized is storytelling. So your book is a really storytelling book. Yeah. Even your Twitter presence is really storytelling. You're just like a storytelling person. Um, <laughs> how how do you see storytelling to be a subversive act to the status quo, to imperial Christianity, to whiteness? How do you see the the activity of storytelling to be subversive to those things? I think that um, even throughout my life as a Christian, the, some of the most powerful like moments of community I've experienced is when someone shares their pain. So going back to that, when people are vulnerable and they mm-hmm. share these stories of this is really what it's like to be me. This is really my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to numb things and we like to cover things up and we like to pretend they're not there. Right. We like to not be vulnerable and we like to beat around the bush and we like to rush to healing before we really get there, you know. Um, and storytelling is just this like constant opening up to the world and to God and to each other. And it requires a lot of vulnerability, you know, mm-hmm. it, quite, it requires a lot of asking and of curiosity and of and of asking the person you're speaking to to listen. And there's this really important like spirit that is between the person sharing their story and the person listening. Like there's this, um, which I think is really sacred and, and of God. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that being willing to break down those walls and, and share, I'm in a, um, 
Be the Bridge group. It was started by Latasha Morrison, and okay. there are these racial reconciliation groups that are starting in churches all over the country, okay. and they're amazing. And it's in it's like it's real life conversations about really hard things, mm-hmm. and we realize that those spaces are so important because online, when we're online with each other, like it's so easy to not see other people as humans. Right. When you're looking in each other's faces and you're trying to like really honestly share that changes so much. And, and so storytelling, at least before when it was oral only, there was that, that forced presence. Like you have to sit with each other and it breaks down barriers and it breaks down walls. And so now we're in like a new era of what that looks like with, with written stories and stuff. But I think people are hungry for it. I think people just want to know each other. And, um, and I think we're, we've been trying to like bandage our wounds for so long instead of actually like getting to the root of things in mm-hmm. America and in the church. And I think that we need to go back to that, to that spirit of storytelling, honestly. And I think that that will teach us a lot about what it means to truly be Christians and to actually be community to each other. I'm not sure if you're really familiar with Diedrich, Bonhoeff's, Diedrich Bonhoeffer's concept of religion, this Christianity. Is that, is that something you are familiar I've with? I've heard of it before, but okay. I don't know a lot about it. Yeah. yeah. So um, it, 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 in his context that he was writing, uh, right. he, he was obviously writing uh, kind of uh, critiquing and criticizing the way that Christians in Nazi Germany had co-opted themselves to the Third Reich. Um, mm-hmm. So really, it's a vision of Christianity that's void of nationalism, racism, sexism, etc. How do you see your work speaking into the vision of religionless Christianity? Mm-hmm. Or what you understand uh, to be yeah. religionless Christianity? I mean, I, I hope I'm a part of that. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly hope so. It is, I mean, it's vitally important. It's sad that we have to say that today in America, that's an important thing. Right. But like, that is exactly what we're facing. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's terrifying, but it's also like, it's exactly what we've set ourselves up for. When you look throughout our history, like we've always been a nation that is built, uh, we've we've built this country on the backs of people of color and of mm-hmm. indigenous people. And so, um, for me, like for me living within that is, is coming, coming to reality with my own privilege as a white person and my own story as an indigenous woman. And, and it's like all of these aspects of who I am just trying to be as honest as I can about them with my faith. Um, but there's this the phrase um our existence is resistance that's um mm. that's a phrase that i've heard from some indigenous people mm-hmm. um on twitter and on social media and i i just love that because that's exactly like the whole point was to erase us and and for me to be alive and for my my indigenous brothers and sisters to be alive today like that in itself is an act mm. of resistance right. and um so religionless Christianity 
uh, it's so that's so big. <laughs> I feel like right. the umbrella of that is is big, <laughs> right. and we can we can find a space under it. But um, it requires a lot of painful conversations, you mm -hmm. know. But I'm willing to have them, um, and I I want to bring people to the table and have those conversations. I want, mm -hmm. and I want it to focus on being honest about where we came from and be honest about like where we can go from here, you know? Right. Um, and it's hard, but I think it's necessary. What, uh, what do you have for future projects? Any future books that you might be working on? Any future, future speaking gigs that people could uh, go um, see you at? Yeah, I'm speaking at Wild Goose Festival this summer. Oh, um, that's great. In North Carolina. I love mm -hmm. that. Um, so I'll be speaking there. So I'll be there. So come say hi if you're there. Um, uh, I'm working on my second book now. So I, okay. it doesn't have a... Uh, we're not too release dates or anything like that but i'm i've been writing it for a while so okay do you want to so give us a little like a little sneak peek of what it could be about um it's a it's about a lot of the things i tweet about so okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this one will actually be a lot about my journey as an indigenous woman and a christian okay. so it'll be a lot of what we've been talking about right um, oh that's great kind of that breaking down of my life and my faith so in a book um that's so exciting yeah so working on that and um a few more speaking events in the fall but i'm um i'm looking now so anyone who wants to book me for an event just <laughs> let me know um yeah and just writing you know i'm continuing i write for sojourners a lot so i'll be writing for them this summer and also just kind of hanging out and relaxing so that's great hanging out with the with the kids and with the yeah with that's great yeah with the family Where can listeners get connected uh, to your work? Um, so I have a, a Facebook page. It's Caitlin Curtis Writer is the okay. little whatever. I don't know what you call it. The, the, Not tagline. After the, after the slash it. in the URL? Yeah, after the slash. <laughs> whatever that um, term is. Then, yeah. <laughs> um, my Twitter is Caitlin Curtis. You can find me there. And then my, my blog is CaitlinCurtis.com, which kind of just has everything rolled mm -hmm. into one. So. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been just a wonderful uh, conversation, and I'm just so glad that we were able to connect and make this happen. Yeah, thank you. How great is Caitlin? Isn't she just really wonderful? She uh, just has this sort of sweet spirit about her. Uh, as you heard early in the episode, she's an Enneagram 4, which I'm an Enneagram 4. And us Enneagram 4s, we, like, we need to stick together. Like, you know, the world is not out for Enneagram 4s. You know, existence is not made for us Enneagram 4s. So I'm glad that her and I were able to get connected because, you know, we just we, we need to, to sort of team up together as Enneagram 4s um, to resist the, the powers that be in this world that absolutely are antagonistic to our being as fours. So, uh, enough of me rambling about being an Enneagram 4. 
Uh, I really hope that you enjoyed Caitlin. Uh, you, you should totally get connected to her work. She writes all the time on Sojourners. She's got, um, I believe, two books out now. Uh, we talked about Glory Happenings, but um, I'm pretty sure she might have two books out now. I know she's always writing, so there's probably a book that she's in the middle of writing right as we speak. Uh, so be sure to get connected to her. She's on Twitter. She's really active on Twitter, and she tweets unbelievably amazing things. She She's educated me so much on the indigenous experience of people in North America, and uh, I really would like for you to get connected to her. And as always, I think you probably enjoyed Hot Boy. Uh, I don't know if we've had any duos. Maybe we've had a duo before on the show, but uh, I, I, I think duos are... They kind of can be hit and miss, but when you have Cody Bonnet, who is an unbelievable guitar player and an unbelievable lyricist and has an, such an interesting and unique voice, it's really hard not to enjoy uh, Hawkboy. And they're really great. So uh, get connected to Hawkboy. I know they only got a couple EPs out. They haven't really done anything uh, since, uh, but be sure to get connected to them. And like I said before, both Cody and Aaron are in a band called As Cities Burn, which was one of my favorite bands of all time. And I just saw them like a month ago, which is great. And uh, they're back writing new music. They broke up for a while, then then Hawkboy kind of came to be, and then Hawkboy kind of fizzled out, and then now As Cities Burn is becoming a thing again. And I'm super stoked, and they're um, doing all sorts of great stuff. So uh, be sure to get connected to them. And as always, get connected to my work. As I said before, you can get connected to me on Patreon. Again, there's different levels, tier levels you can get connected to. And uh, I really think that you should do it. I know I can't beg you enough, but I really think you should do it. It's really great. I also haven't asked this for a while, but if you are an Apple Podcast user, please, 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 please give me a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. Um, those ratings and reviews a lot of people don't think that they're much, but they actually do a lot in terms of getting my podcast out to the world. And uh, obviously, if it's highly rated and there's a lot of high, highly rated or high ratings, uh, that podcast is going to kind of move up in the rankings, and and more people are going to hear about it. So, if you really care about what I'm doing with religion, this church, be sure to give me a rating and a little review and a also, you know, just for me personally, I like to see what you all are thinking about the podcast, and it, it really helps me out. So, with that all said, I hope that you all have a wonderful day, and thank you for listening.